0: I'm Greg Oliar. Four years ago, I stopped writing novels to report on the crimes of Donald Trump and his associates. In 2018, I wrote a best-selling book about it, Dirty Rubles. In 2019, I launched Prevail, a bi-weekly column about Trump and Putin, spies and mobsters, and so many traitors. Trump may be gone, but the damage he wrought will take years to fully understand. Join me and a revolving crew of contributors and guests as we try to make sense of it all. This is Prevail. No, Mr. Green. Communism is just a red herring. Like all members of the oldest profession, I'm a capitalist.
3: Hello, and welcome to Mueller She Wrote. I'm your host, A.G., and today we're going to play for you some incredible interviews we had this past week for our sister show, The Daily Beans, uh, that's worth a listen. Really, really incredible interviews. So uh, for the Mueller memos this week that came out, for the Flynn news, check out uh, Monday's May 18th episode of the Daily Beans. We're going to cover it all there so I can bring you these two interviews. So today we're bringing you these two interviews, one with former assistant director for the FBI for counterintelligence, Frank Fagluzzi, and the other with former federal prosecutor currently running for district attorney in Westchester County, New York, Mimi Roca. So first up is Frank Fagluzzi. So let's have a listen. All right, everybody, welcome back. Uh, Joining me today to discuss the potentially dangerous next steps for the Department of Justice is former assistant director of the FBI for counterintelligence and MSNBC analyst Frank Fagluzzi. Thank you for speaking with me today. Thanks, A.G. So yesterday you penned a piece for NBC about Trump's Obamagate comments. Uh, He just tweeted out Obamagate in all caps. And you talked about a troubling new pivot at the Department of Justice. And, you know, we've recently seen unprecedented meddling by Bill Barr to go easy on Trump's friends. But where do you think this is leading next?
2: So I want to just share with you a little background on this this NBC think piece I did, because when I started writing it, I was into uh, what you'll see in the first paragraph, which is the concept of predictive analysis studying someone's behavior and the intel you have to predict where their conduct might be headed and i submitted the piece to a number of major uh, platforms and publications all of which came back to me and said frank this is a great piece but it's it's out there i mean you're you're actually trying to say that the president's going the president of the united states is going to accuse the former president and all vice right. president of conspiracy oh,
3: but frank do you remember when we were out there for thinking that russia was meddling in in the election
2: yeah yeah no i i, I know and then so so i'm like oh okay um look i'm i have a contract with nbc television I, i'll submit this to them and see and have them tell me i'm crazy well in the in the course of the 24 to 48 hours that transpired while i was getting a rejection complex oh. of course lo, lo and behold um, the president of the United States started tweeting and retweeting the very conspiracy theory I'm talking about, including retweeting an article from the Federalist that claims that uh, Obama and Biden and you name it, Comey, Brennan, Rice, whoever sit all sit in a room, clapper, all sit in a room. i um, trying to gin up the Russia case uh, for the express purpose of taking Trump out. And, um, Then he starts uh, tweeting Fox News hosts who are saying the exact same thing. And then um, we see, you know, acting DNI Richard Grinnell show up with great fanfare with a satchel in his hand at the front door of the Department of Justice because, you know, he's going to unmask the terrible people who found Flynn was the guy on the wiretap talking to Kislyak. And then we have a Rose Garden press conference where Phil Rooker asks Trump the question, what, what kind of crime are you, are you accusing former President Obama of? And Trump responds, Obamagate, you know the crime. You know the crime. So then we, then, we, then he tells reporters, hey, I had a call with Putin. Uh, this is, by the way, on the very same day that, that DOJ files the motion to dismiss the Flynn charges. I had a call with Putin. We, we talked about this. We talked about the Russia hoax. And, quote, a lot of things might happen unquote, next few weeks. So my 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 point is not just that I'm recovering now from my rejection complex, but rather that um, what seemed unbelievable two or three days ago has actually come to pass.
3: Well, Barr hinted at that earlier, didn't he? I mean, when he went on, I can't remember if it was Fox or ABC, and, and made the comments, you know, well, we're looking into it, and if there's crimes, you know, we're going to hold people accountable. I mean, he sort of, uh, we call it lubing the truth here on this show, where you sort of, like, smoke out the... What do they call it? Smoking the jury or something where, you you know, you you drop what you're about to do. So when it hits, it doesn't hit as hard. Um, but he he was he was sort of laying the groundwork for, for this even before Trump went on his crazy 125 tweet every seven minutes. Mother's Day <laughs> thing.
2: Yeah, we so so Trump has an accomplice um, in this and, and that happens to be the attorney general of the United States who's riding shotgun on this this travesty train ride that that we're on and he's all the the attorney general in many ways over the past couple of years has signaled his willingness to and complicity to help Trump out of this mess and to more importantly twist the truth. So, you know, and we're talking about everything from that four page summary of the the Mueller inquiry and calling a press conference to shape the public perception of it. And now appointing John Durham, the U S attorney Connecticut to, you know, Get to the bottom of the vast Russian conspiracy, and and so we're we're going to see, and, and then of course that we fast forward to the Flynn filing, uh, and and so we're going to see over the next few weeks and months, and very conveniently right up to the election, this this kind of sword of Damocles hanging over the head of anyone, including former President Obama, who who touched. Um, the Russia case. And the right wing is eating it up, hook, line and sinker. Um, Fox News is every night is hitting this um, hard. And, and I, I think it's important to the facts on this. I, I don't want to be that guy that, that does uh, podcasts and TV appearances and just says, oh, this is all a bunch of nonsense. I, I want to dig deeply into um, the facts of this, what we know, and more importantly, what we don't know.
3: Right, because that's how we combat it, is to discuss the facts and the details. And, you know, and you were just bringing up all this other stuff with Durham and and appointing U.S. attorneys to look into Flynn and look into Stone. Uh, Because you say Trump is still very sensitive about 2016. We know from Bob Woodward's book that he kept an electoral map, maybe still he does, on display outside of the Oval Office. So he's still very, very you know, uh, about trying to unwind this entire Russia investigation. He's been doing it his entire presidency.
2: It goes directly to the heart of how he sees the validity of his own election. So it's much like a baseball season when there's been a strike, right? You In the, in the record books, there's an asterisk next to that entire season. And in parentheses, it says, you know, strike occurred during the season. So basically, don't pay attention to these stats to him not only it's a double whammy not only did he not win the popular vote but now there's this perception that since it's been proven that russia interfered in the election then quote that then, then then comma they must have actually got him the win the reality is ag there's never been proof that russia got him the win that that that's hard to quantify and qualify there's been proven evidence including confirmed by the senate intelligence committee controlled by republicans that indeed they went all out to do this and we indicted 26 russians for doing it so he in his mind the way you become more valid in terms of the presidency is you get rid of this taint how do you get rid of the taint you have to get rid of those indictments or at least at least cause a perception that those indictments were tainted and part of a vast conspiracy Barr has signed up for that cause, um, and we're going to see some people absolutely um, ruined and destroyed in the process. I would not be surprised if you see the Attorney General of the United States take whatever John Durham comes up with, twist it, contort it, and, and issue statements that make people think, yep – um Obama and more importantly, Biden, who's opposing the president, um, they came up with all of this. And so if you dig deeply into this, um, here's the condensed version. What we know so far is that um the the intelligence community came to President Obama during the transition period when when Trump had, had won, and here comes the transition team. The transition team is about to receive very sensitive briefings, right? It's that it's that crucial time between November and January when you start really uh, informing the incoming team of the world picture and sensitive intelligence. And so they come to the white house and they go, Hey, serious problems with Flynn. We got him on tape. We, you know, we, 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 he's, he's, he's been paid by Russia for speaking engagements. He's an unregistered foreign agent of Turkey. We've got photos of him and Putin in, in Russia. And, and by the way, you know, we've got these greater concerns about Russia, uh, now proven Russian assistance to the campaign. What, what say you president Obama? And what appears to have happened is by all accounts, um, Obama said, Hey, I, I've got to know what we can brief and not brief to this transition team. And particularly an incoming national security advisor like Flynn, let's get to the bottom of it. So that's being turned into this smoking gun bombshell proof that somehow Obama fabricated the Russia evidence.
3: Yeah, and unraveling the Russia investigation has the added benefit uh, of giving a pretext for Trump to lift sanctions you know the Obama sanctions for metal, for attacking us in the 2016 election and i appreciate your major league baseball uh, analogy because i am a cleveland indians fan and the strike in 1995 we would have won the series i know but <laughs>
2: yes, right.
3: but i it's don't keep <laughs> have
2: you been have you been to uh, the the new field the progressive field i have it's beautiful oh yeah it's it's gorgeous yeah.
3: but i don't have their season stand standings hanging on my desk outside of my office you know, I, I, that's I'm, the point. I'm not that hurt by it.
2: Um, My greatest concern, as you just mentioned, fr- since I come from the counterintelligence world and see everything through a national security lens, is that it, those 26 indictments are Russians, I mean, badass Russians, 12 of them are GRU intelligence officers. Yeah. If we make people think that those indictments are invalid or that ne- that never happened or even Trump just pretends like, "Hey, see, the whole thing's tainted. Fruit of the poisonous tree. Therefore, I'm gonna, I'm gonna overturn the sanctions against Russia for messing with our democracy." Um, that empowers the uh, Russia and Putin, and all bets are off in terms of what adversaries will feel like they can do to us.
3: Oh yeah, that's the scary part. Um, and I wanted to ask you about playing the this kind of thing out to its logical conclusion. Let's say. We do end up seeing charges against Clapper, against Brennan, uh, Comey, um, et cetera. They likely won't make it past the first round of the court, particularly in the D.C. circuit. I mean, I I imagine that the, the awesome lawyers that these folks would hire would file motions to dismiss and it would likely these cases would be dismissed. So what's the end game here? Is he just pushing it out to get the charges and then have the election and then they just go away? Like, what's the goal?
2: Yeah, you don't even need to actually get a grand jury to indict. You theoretically don't even need to get to the grand jury. What I think is going to happen, A.G., is we're going to see some attempts at criminal charges probably at a very low level. Uh, uh, the the easy one, and by the way, I-, I can get into this, it's not that easy, but the most logical candidate at a low level would be the FBI attorney
3: mm-hmm.
2: who allegedly fabricated and, and I'll get into this in a second, allegedly fabricated a a uh, an email um in support of the FISA affidavit against Carter Page. Mm-hmm. That's 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 the first one you're gonna see.
3: That's what I thought too, because I mean, you know, they say that uh he was they were trying to determine whether Carter Page was an asset to the CIA and it was misclassified, he was misnamed, it was a misnomer, and, and they added something to an email after the fact, allegedly.
2: And we we may have even had this discussion before, AG. I've talked about this so much, I can't remember who with. But look, in the course of my career, um, I can't tell you how many times I've had go-arounds with the CIA about how to properly characterize one of their uh, sources operatives, informants, contacts, associates, um, unpaid, uncontacted, and and they'll go in circles. And and look, that's the world they live in. And you can get three different answers from three different people on three different days about how to characterize someone that they're talking to. And so it's what I'm hearing. and, and, And by the way, I can I'll stand corrected on this. If this was an outright fabrication by an FBI attorney. Right. But my what I'm hearing is that he was trying to get this right as to how the agency was characterizing Carter Page and make it explainable easily to the FISA court. And so um, the language, you know, was being played with and, and manipulated to try and figure out what the agency was saying on any given day and, and portray it correctly. I, If that's what happened here, then there's no way a grand jury is going to um, indict. And by the way, it's going to that would require the CIA to come forward. And, 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 and release classified information to a grand jury about what they were doing with, with Carter Page. So even that might not happen. But to, to answer the question about where this is, is going, you don't have to get to criminality, right? I mean, even even uh, Trump said, you know, when asked what the crime was, uh, Obamagate. Well, there's nothing in Title 18 of the U.S. Code called Obamagate. So you, what you'll have is Barr, um, through the next six months, start to attack folks, start to lay seeds of things. And then you hear him watch carefully, listen carefully when reporters ask Barr, is there going to be a report from Durham? You get, I don't know, maybe, we'll see. So so wait a minute.
3: Oh, you know, you know, we'll see. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so you've got a U.S. attorney and an entire team tearing apart um, a case against uh, a campaign and a president, and you might not issue a report? Why might you not? Well, because this allows me to spin and insinuate and destroy people. So you know, just plant the seed in people's mind. We're headed to a grand jury. We're thinking about it. We're fixing to get ready. Um, or we present it. you know, it's like the question, when did you stop beating your wife? Uh, once Once those words are out of somebody's mouth, mm-hmm. there's nothing you can do to to deny or dissuade them. So once he says, grand jury, we're gonna try, we're gonna go. We, we went and they said, no, um, it, that's all that matters in certain people's minds.
3: Yeah. And I mean, it. it that he, and you're talking about counterintelligence, previous patterns of behaviors. That's what he did with Ukraine. Just the mere announcement of an investigation without even having to do one uh, would have an impact. So I need to squeeze in a quick break, but I do have another question for you. Will you stick around? Sure. OK, great. We'll be right back. Uh, we are talking to former assistant director of the FBI for counterintelligence, Frank Fagluzzi. Stick with us. Hey everybody, it's A.G. from the Daily Beans. Due to the global pandemic of COVID-19, the job market has been uncertain for the past couple of months, and, and we don't really know what the future will hold. None of us can predict it. We're all in uncharted waters, and as a small business ourselves, we understand what employees and employers are going through right now. Employees are worried about their jobs still being there, when this is over, or having to find a new one, while employers are concerned about their business surviving, and hoping that both customers and employees can come back. Uh, In the effort to dissuade fears and provide some assistance and comfort in these crazy times, we'd like to relay the following message from our sponsor, ZipRecruiter. They say, right now, we can not be overwhelmed. We have to work to keep our loved ones safe and protect our communities. We have to work to stay strong, to stay connected, to stay focused. We have to work to inspire and to innovate, to build new solutions. But for all this to work, we have to work together. At ZipRecruiter, we connect employers and people every day. But today is different. We're partnering with first responders, government officials, and the medical community, the innovators, and manufacturing, transportation, and food distribution industries to make sure we're finding the right people for the right jobs right now. So let's work together. ZipRecruiter.com slash work together. All right, everybody. Welcome back. Frank, thanks for sticking with me here. Um, I just had a couple more questions for you. What do you think of the notion that by... Well, first of all, tell me, explain to me what this whole thing is with Rick Grinnell and the... Uh, unmasking. Uh, Fox News, I believe, uh, just put out the report that um, Biden, Comey, and the intel chiefs were among those who wanted to unmask Flynn. What, what does that mean, unmask Flynn?
2: Yep. This is really important because, again, we're going to get a steady drumbeat of this on Fox News every night. Okay. So we saw Grinnell with great fanfare walking into with a satchel to Department of Justice headquarters. That was all staged. And <laughs>
3: It was like the Nunez running at midnight, or, or the or the parchment envelope with calligraphy sent to uh, by by Giuliani. They're just so funny with their really lame like staging shit. But you
2: got you got to give them credit. So here's 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 some important background on what unmasking means. When a certain three letter agency um, that we shall not mention um, intercepts uh, conversations, let's say you know, and these are by the way all court authorized intercepts almost always uh, a foreign uh, national targets. Um, Occasionally, more than occasionally, an American citizen will be uh, intercepted and captured. um, Speaking to this person, it could be that this target is ordering pizza from Domino's and the pizza delivery guy is saying, Hey, I'm outside your door. That gets intercepted as part of the wiretap on the foreign person, right? Well, that happened with one Mr. Michael Flynn, who was talking with Russian ambassador to the United States, Kislyak. So the way that report shows up on your desk, and, and, it, and many of them showed up on my desk when I was A.D. of Counterintelligence, um, is unnamed U.S. person or unnamed, you know, US per or unknown person. You then have to go back to that agency with three letters and say, "I have a valid, I have a valid reason for knowing who that was, right?" And if it's a pizza order, you don't have a valid reason for knowing, and that agency, believe me, will tell you. Uh, take a hike. That's a pizza order, right? Mm-hmm. But instead, what they'll usually come back is they'll courier to you because it's top secret. Um, l- literally, a human will hand you the unmasked name and um, because you, it's determined you have an intelligence reason. And, of course, if you are, oh, say a president or vice president trying to figure out if you can trust an incoming transition team or who the hell is undermining my policy by talking sanctions with a Russian ambassador um, because that's I I need that missing name. Who the hell is doing this to me? And if you're the FBI or CIA, or or Susan Rice at you know, National Security Advisor, or the UN Ambassador um, Susan Power to the United Nation, you know to the United, American Ambassador to the United Nations, and someone's talking about undermining sanctions and telling the the Ambassador to Russia don't don't pay attention to these sanctions. We'll take care of it. You want to know that name, so you ask for it to be unmasked. So you're going to see people all you know in the Obama administration who are saying I had a valid reason to know and that three letter agency said yeah I think you do because they're messing with you and here comes the name.
3: Yeah, I mean there's a whole law about that. It's called the Logan Act. I know we never charge anybody with it, but you're not you're not supposed to act as an agent of the federal government if you're not one.
2: Um, and by the way, I, I get that Logan Act is a crime that's almost never charged. I, I, I get that, but I'm saying understand the bigger picture. It's an intelligence counterintelligence threat picture. Of course, of course. I don't think I don't think Susan Powers or Susan Rice is sitting there going, uh, "I want to charge the Logan Act." I think they're going, "Who the hell right. is telling the Russian ambassador th- that not to pay attention to our sanctions?" And 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 the President Obama likely saying, "I need to figure out if I can trust." to brief uh, at the TS level to the incoming Trump team who is doing this. That And that's a valid purpose.
3: Now, what do you think of the notion that by investigating and, and possibly trying to charge folks, but even just investigating folks like Brennan Biden and maybe even Obama, that uh, Trump could knowingly or inadvertently leave a bad taste for going after a preceding administration as he faces losing the election in November? I thought about uh, somebody mentioned that on Twitter, like, uh, I don't know. That's probably just a, a benefit, a side benefit.
2: Yeah, be, be be careful what you ask for. You might get it. So <laughs> you, you want you want a previous administration investigated for, for for little and nothing. Then you better be prepared that it's going to happen to you. Um, mm-hmm. There's there's a lot of irony here. Don't forget, we have a president and his lawyers as recently as this week <laughs> in the Supreme Court claiming that the president has vast powers to do whatever the hell he wants. Mm, yeah. And now what's the president saying? Uh, Obama should not have had had briefings from the intelligence community on on the Russia case. Well, wh- which which is.
3: Yeah, you 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 think a lot like me. My very next question was, given the arguments at SCOTUS yesterday, how does this square with Trump and the Department of Justice arguing that presidents are immune from investigation and prosecution? So
2: Yeah, up is down, down is up.
3: Uh, yeah, this isn't the only dissonance by the administration. They fight for pre-existing conditions while litigating against Obamacare. They say they're trying to save Social Security while cutting it in their budget. That's why, you know, I, I believe Matto always says, you know, watch what they do, not what they say. Um. But yeah, I I really appreciate you explaining that to us because I know you're a counterintelligence expert and I just wasn't sure what the unmasking thing meant. So now it's clear, uh, it's much more clear to me that uh, there were senior officials within the Obama administration who wanted to know the name of the person talking to Kislyak in an intercepted uh, call from a three-letter agency talking about "don't freak out over the sanctions; we'll take care of it." Yeah, it makes total sense because then we had what you know. What did Sally Yates do, and what did the two things Obama warned the incoming president about? Uh, Flynn and North Korea.
2: Well, yeah, and that Flynn is compromisable. the The moment the moment the White House came out and said. Hey, Flynn never talked about sanctions with the Russians. The Russians own you now. They own Flynn. And that's what Sally Yates was trying to tell them is, hey, wait a minute. We have Flynn on tape saying this. So they own him because they know he's lying to you. And now you've said it publicly. They can screw him over at any time. And that's what she was trying to say. He poses a threat. And that's what those FBI agents were trying to get to the bottom of when they showed up at the White House to interview Flynn.
3: And just real quick before I let you go, explain what that would look like. Uh, compromised Flynn. Russians know he lied. How could the Russians screw him? I don't, I don't know if there is a lot. I, like, I feel like there's some people out there who don't quite understand how that makes someone compromised.
2: Well, if you – so if, the, the bottom line is when someone – if you're in a position of trust, top secret clearance, close to the president, it doesn't matter. You could be anywhere in the intelligence community, quite frankly. Um, and if the bad guys have something on you that you're keeping secret. And keeping secret is defined by you lied to your boss about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that boss embarrassingly has gone public with with what you've told him, which is a lie. They come back at you and go, hey, uh, hey, General Flynn, um, you know, we need you to side with us on this issue. We need you to convince the president of X, Y, Z. Um, and you know what? If you don't give us this piece of information, this position paper, this classified intel, uh, we're going to tell folks that you did commit a violation of the Logan Act, that you did tell us to stand down on anything regarding sanctions. And oh, by the way, when you got paid $30,000 to show up at a dinner in Russia and sit with Putin, um, and you claim you don't know how that was paid and all of that, we'll expose that too.
3: Yeah, straight up blackmail. And why wouldn't a general, a patriot, quote unquote, just call it out, just go – public would say I'm being blackmailed by the Russians or or I mean I don't understand is it just the desire for power and money that overtakes somebody's duty I I, I just don't know how you make it that far in that kind of position and and sell out the country which is what Sullivan was saying when he said in his courtroom December 18th I think 2018 when he was about to sentence him and he talked Flynn out of it uh, saying, you need to go forth and cooperate more because I hate your face right now. And he pointed to the flag behind him. You and I've talked about this and said, you have betrayed everything that stands for, asked the prosecutors if they'd looked into treason. I mean, I think that is sort of the, the crux of it, isn't it?
2: Yeah. The, be- the behavioral studies of folks who actually do these really stupid things, um, is fascinating to me, but it requires you to, to understand the history of Flynn and where he's coming from. Let's not forget. um, he was the head of the defense intelligence agency, DIA. Um, it's a, it sounds like a really cool position and and it is if you're one of the Intel nerds like me.
3: Yeah. I, I remember visiting the Pentagon walking past that their office. And I was like,
2: Ooh, Ooh, it's a very important institution, but in the, in the scheme of things in the U S military, it's not the cool kids department, right? It's not, you're not in, you're not leading battle. You're not in the combat theater. And, and he even worse, he develops a reputation as a rogue cowboy that causes Obama to feel he's insubordinate and to recommend that he not get anywhere near an important position. Even Chris Christie, was recommending against the hiring of General Flynn because of his cowboy reputation and 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 the fact that people didn't like him or care for him. And Obama removed him from the DIA position. So he has a huge chip on his shoulder. His career career's essentially ended. He's not going to get where he wants to be. And so in, in retirement, he's looking to get some posture and some cash. And where does that come from? Well, I can give speeches for 30 thousand dollars a pop even if they're in russia really bad judgment but i've seen it before
3: well as a veteran it i'm disgusted by it um and you know i mean i i was a, a support position uh, in, in the military i was a navy nuke under clinton so it wasn't you know i wasn't one of the cool kids either but um <laughs> mm. you know uh, it's it's just and, and then to take the position of, of being the patriot is, is just, it's disgusting. It's gaslighting. And we're going to, I think we're going to see a lot of this, just like you said in your piece, we're going to see um, his base falling for these, you know, charges, if there are any, or at least the attempt to make them, they'll fall for it hook, line and sinker. And they'll all come after us and gaslight us for being part of the deep state.
2: We are, it's going to get worse. We're, we're going to see Flynn rolled out at campaign rallies. We're going to see uh, Navy SEAL, former Navy SEAL Chief Gallagher, uh, accused of war crimes, um, uh, but for uh, Trump's meddling in that, rolled out uh, as uh, campaign surrogates. And it's going to be disgusting.
3: Huh. Well, let's all prepare for it because it's going to happen. Uh, and thank you very much for joining us today, everybody. Uh, former Assistant Director of the FBI for Counterintelligence, MSNBC analyst Frank Figlusi, thank you again so much for speaking with me today. I appreciate it.
2: Stay well, A.G. Bye.
3: This is A.G., and you're listening to Mueller, She Wrote. And now let's hear the interview with Mimi Roca. All right, everybody, welcome back. Uh, joining me today is former federal prosecutor from the Southern District of New York, law professor, MSNBC legal analyst, and candidate for district attorney for Westchester County in New York, Mimi Roca. Mimi, thanks for speaking with me today.
1: Thanks, A.G. It's so good to be back with you.
3: It's been a long time. We've we had a little bit of a, a I guess, a hiatus doing all you know all this stuff that we're trying to accomplish right now, but I'm really, really glad to speak to you again.
1: And I'm glad to be here. There's certainly a, a lot to discuss right now <laughs> on the legal front. <laughs> ah,
3: yes. And I want to just give you a heads up. Our listeners are pretty well caught up on what's going on with Flynn all the way up to the minute order asking for amicus curie. Um, but I wanted to speak with you today about... First of all, here's a brief timeline with this minute order. So the Department of Justice, we know, filed a weak sauce motion to dismiss the case against Flynn. Uh, and then May 11th, retired Judge John Gleason, I believe it's uh, John, penned an op-ed. He penned an op-ed in The Washington Post saying evidentiary hearings and amicus curiae were needed in this case since neither side was opposing the motion to dismiss. Like it's now it's it's Barr versus Flynn and their friends, you know. Um but then Judge Sullivan issued a minute order asking for amicus briefs, and then yesterday he issued an order that Judge Gleason, retired Judge Gleason, would be assisting the court uh, under amicus curiae, meaning he's got um, you know things that he can information he can provide the court that the party's representatives aren't providing. Uh, and and he want he's going to assist in weighing the motion for the depart from the Department of Justice. So, first of all, I I put out a tweet there, and you had, you had responded, and that's why I wanted to talk to you. Has any have you ever seen anything like this? Have you ever seen anything like this?
1: <laughs> yeah, no, and uh, I, I I jumped right in there because to me the the answer seemed so um, kind of obvious, but also important, which is no i have not i can't i mean that doesn't mean it's never ever happened but in in my experience 16 years as a federal prosecutor um and and a watcher you know for the past couple of years very closely you know it, it is unusual to see a judge in a criminal proceeding invite amicus briefs um and and even more unusual i think to sort of say um that they're appointing one one person in particular to do that. But we've never seen anything like what has happened here with Bill Barr and the Department of Justice dismissing a perfectly <laughs> legitimate and even important criminal prosecution after the person has pled guilty twice. So um, you know, it is it is the answer is I haven't really seen anything like this, but have never seen anything like this attorney general. And I think what the judge is doing is recognizing that the interests of the Department of Justice as an independent institution with a political um, uh, motivations is not being represented by Bill Barr. And and so, you know, you you bring in. Uh, people for you invite amicus briefs, you, you, you allow amicus briefs when friends of the court to rep, when when all the interests are not being represented. And and, you know, I, I know that the Trumpians will disagree with this, but any objective observer who's watched Barr over the past couple of years cannot say that he is representing the interests of the Department of Justice. He is representing the interests of Donald Trump. Um, and, and that is not what his job is supposed to be. And I think this is the first time this is, you know, where someone in power, namely a judge has said, you know what, there's something I can do about that.
3: Mm. Yeah. And, you know, I think you're exactly right. An unprecedented motion to dismiss calls for an unprecedented reaction. (laughs) Um, right. And so
1: and and just I mean I guess I would say one other thing while I think what the judge has done here is highly unusual it it's it's there are similar um, procedures in other cases that are analogous so it's not like he just made this up I mean but we have amicus briefs in as you know well in you know Supreme Court cases dealing with all sorts of issues I mean it, it, it it's not foreign to uh, it's not unusual to have these kinds of briefs uh, filed. It's just somewhat unusual in individual criminal cases, but not but but not where there are bigger legal mm-hmm. principles at stake, which I think is really what's going on here. This isn't just about Flynn anymore. It's about the principle of an independent Department of Justice making lawless decisions.
3: Yeah, and the beauty of it is, we have seen, like you said, in the past few years, we've seen uh, the Department of Justice under Bill Barr weigh in with amicus briefs in Supreme Court cases on multiple occasions, and so it's not an argument; it's it's nothing that Bill Barr can stop, and and we'll get into that in a in a second. But I wanted you to tell us who is Judge Gleason because uh, I I feel like our listeners um have a little bit of an indication they know some of the cases he's prosecuted some of the people he's brought down uh in his in his, or you know presided over i shouldn't say brought down in his years as a, as a judge who can you just who give us a picture of who he is
1: Yeah, so judge gleason um, was a federal judge uh for many years i actually uh clerked for him meaning i was his, one of his law clerks back in 1997 right when i was fresh out of law school um, and he had been on the bench, I think for, uh, two years or so. So he was a very young judge. He was a judge in Brooklyn, um, United States Eastern district court for the Eastern district of New York. Mm. Um, he had been a federal prosecutor for many years before that in the Eastern district, um, us attorney's office and, um, you know, did, did kind of cases, federal prosecutors like like him, like me, you know, do. Um, but his sort of claim to fame, I think that the thing that he's most well known for is that he successfully prosecuted John Gotti Sr., um, who was known as the tough Don because, you know, he so many times had been prosecuted and was not convicted. But then uh, Judge Gleason, in a very well-tried case, uh, was able to successfully prosecute him and end and that uh, one-man crime spree uh, with the Gambino family. Um, and so um, he, after that, um, I think he was acting U.S. attorney for a little bit of time, but then he was appointed, um, I believe by President Clinton, to be a federal judge. He was uh, pretty young for his, uh, you know, to, to be appointed a federal judge, And I will tell you, though, um, both from my experience, you know, clerking with him for a year, which means I was with him every single day, every minute of the day, you know, in court, outside of court, eating lunch with him, talking with him. And he has remained a friend uh, and a mentor um, to this day. Um, He is one of the most brilliant people, not just lawyers, but but also a brilliant lawyer that I know. I mean, truly has a brilliant mind. is um, really not sort of a cookie-cutter person. In other words, it's hard to fit him into one mold or another. So he was a prosecutor for many years, um, I think came to the bench with that experience, but pretty quickly as a federal judge became very defense-oriented and actually became very involved with um, the criminal defense organizations, federal defenders in particular, and really kind of before criminal justice reform was a sort of popular thing or even a term that people, you know, talked about um, in, in the way that they do now, he he was really at the forefront of that and, and um, really tried to uh, help reform sentencing, federal sentencing guidelines, which he thought were too high. He really was a judge who, you know, looked out for Um, sort of the the most vulnerable people in the criminal justice system and and tried to uh, work on early reforms um, uh, to, you know, thought our drugs laws and sentences were were too harsh and too high at the federal level amongst others. Mm. So he's kind of a, a, a really independent thinker. He doesn't fit neatly in sort of one box or the other. I think he really knows the Department of Justice inside and out and knows what it is supposed to be at its best. Um, but also knows the dangers of it and and the overreach and and how that can work and has not been afraid to stand up to that even in the in the past as as uh, a judge and and now he's a practicing um, I would call him sort of a, a white collar criminal defense lawyer at a law firm in New York he did step down um, from the brunch recently um, but he's he's a well known voice in terms of. Um, you know, speaking out for what he believes. Um, when he was a judge, he did several uh, political uh, redistricting cases that, that made a lot of headlines. Um, he's just a, a very kind of um, um, smart and, and independent thinker who does what he, I think he thinks is right, whatever box it fits into or doesn't fit into. And so I think that's part of why he's the perfect choice for this.
3: Yeah, it seems like his experience uh, advocating for the everyman um it seems to be relevant and in his op-ed in Gleason's op-ed that came out before uh uh Sullivan asked him to to join the case he was urging Sullivan it seemed to to you know really think twice about just dismissing this case and talked about having evidentiary hearings perhaps Listening, questioning, calling into question, you know, bringing in the guys from Covington Burling, which is a, Flynn's original lawyers, but possibly bringing in former prosecutors who worked on the case who have since left, like Kravis, I would assume. Um, so it's, or what was it Van, it was Kravis, was it Van? Van Grack, it was Van Grack. Was Van Grack, yeah. Um, but, who, but he still works for uh, Department of Justice, as far as I know, Van Grack does. Right. Uh, So I think, and and this is what I I was personally hoping for when when Flynn filed his motion to dismiss, we were all sitting around, you know, me and Glenn Kirshner, and we, we were just sitting around saying, gosh, I hope he has evidentiary hearings. I hope he just doesn't dismiss this case. And so now I think we're, we kind of see what, where Gleason stands, what his background is in. I think we can sort of see where this is going. And it's is it fair to say that the Justice Department and Trump can't do anything about this? This isn't something they can ask for a stay for or oppose or file. a. I mean, they can file a, a motion to, I guess, disagree with it.
1: Yeah. And, and I think um, if I'm keeping up on this fast moving news, I, I think that he has. I think Flynn has um, filed something saying, basically, you can't do this. Uh, you can't you can't invite um amicus briefs in um a criminal case um you know that's that's not going to go very far
3: well no and it 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 explains why sullivan put in his minute order i was like why is he putting citing case law about amicus curiae in his minute order oh it's because he knows you know he's saying hey i have sole discretion mofos and so come at me uh it's not a free-for-all though quoting judge Judge Jackson I'm like, what is he getting at? what is he getting at now we know,
1: yeah, yeah exactly no he's he's I mean this judge judge Sullivan is is, is very smart and very independent himself you know and uh, and which is you know not unusual I mean most federal judges a lot of them are and they don't like being told what they can and can't do they have a lot of discretion for a reason in how to run their cases in their courtroom and I think here. Um, you know, I, I don't, I mean, I know Fox news is going to be screaming about how the judge shouldn't be, shouldn't do this, but I, I don't know what basis they have to say that. Um, and if you look at the history of, of federal judges having discretion in sentencings, in motion practice, I mean, this, that's their job. Um, and of course he shouldn't just, you know, rubber stamp this, so I hope he calls Rod Rosenstein, frankly. I mean, yes, yeah, so he could call some other people. But, you know, rose I mean, Rosenstein was the member of this administration that signed off on this prosecution. I know he wasn't there at the beginning, but he absolutely approved it. And he's completely silent now, you know, as as they say that this was all a big political, you know, conspiracy by, quote, the Obama administration.
3: Yeah. And it's going to be interesting, too, because by now, normally we would have heard Trump tweeting, uh, oh, uh, biased Obama judge, uh, blah, blah, blah. But here uh, Judge Sullivan was appointed by H.W. And and so. Uh, Yes, yes, exactly. And so but I don't know that that necessarily has stopped Trump from going after people before and calling them biased. So I, I'm assuming that we're going to start getting some misinformation and propaganda about Gleason and Sullivan being biased judges and, and bad judges. I, I'm assuming we'll start seeing that sort of <laughs> thing come to light. I'm surprised it hasn't already happened. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, well, tell us before I let you go, tell us a little bit about your campaign, where people can find you, where people can donate to you. I don't work for the government anymore, so I don't have to go by the Hatch <laughs> Act. I can ask for donations for your campaign.
1: Um, thank you. Thanks for asking. Yeah, so I'm running for Westchester district attorney. Westchester is uh, right outside of New York City. Um, so, you know, uh, important and big uh, district attorney's office that has cases that can affect, uh, you know, even far beyond uh, um, Westchester County um and um my campaign is going really well i'm running on a platform of uh bringing ethics reform and integrity uh to the da's office something that i think your listeners will appreciate wherever they are and um you know really the need for building institutions at the local level um that are counterweights to what's going on in washington and to the trump administration and particularly When it comes to the criminal justice system, keeping the politics out of our justice system. That's something I've really been talking about and that people really respond to and also pursuing public corruption cases, um, conviction integrity, making sure that we are not prosecuting the wrong people and that we are having uh, not having wrongful convictions. And I have platforms about that, about human trafficking, that's a big priority for me, gun safety, and all this people can find on my website, you know, all of my issue papers, I'm um, kind of listed out. It's Mimi Roca, R-O-C-A-H-4, F-O-R-D-A.com, Mimi roca 4 com. And, um, you know, hopefully people can look me up, and I'm um, happy to have people help make uh, do phone banking. We can do that anywhere in the country and make donations um, and get on our mailing list. We do weekly updates where I interview people uh, on Zoom about important issues. So, um, yeah, that's that's pretty much uh, a, a summary, but I hope people check it out. Thank
3: you. Thank you so much, because these, these are the steps. These are the crucial steps that we're going to need to start taking to rebuild uh, integrity in in our institution, equal justice under the law, ethical guidelines, giving some teeth to these things, and and moving forward to to put back what Trump has taken away, um, in, in in being able to trust our our legal system. So thank you so much for joining me today. You have your list of of, of credits is too long, but law professor, MSNBC legal analyst, former uh, prosecutor from Southern District of New York. And a candidate for Westchester DA. Thank you so much, Mimi Rocha. I appreciate you coming on today.
1: Thanks. Great to talk to you, AG.
3: Y'all, that's our show for today. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, please subscribe to our sister podcast, The Daily Beans. Follow us on Twitter at Daily Beans Pod. Follow us on Twitter also at Muller She Wrote. Uh, and please take care of yourselves and take care of each other. I'm AG, and this is Muller She Wrote. Muller She Wrote is executive produced and directed by AG and Jordan Coburn, with engineering and editing by Mackenzie Mazel and Starburns Industries. Our marketing manager, production, and social media direction is by Amanda Reader. Fact-checking and research by AG, Jordan Coburn, and Amanda Reader, and our knowledgeable listeners. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reader with Moxie Design Studios, and our website is mullersherote.com.
0: Hi, I'm Harry Litman, host of Talking Feds.